0: Pale horse. The man who sat on him was death. And hell followed with him.
1: You're killing me, man.
2: What's up, everybody, and welcome to Declarations of War podcast. I'm your host, Alexi Akkora, joined by my co-host, Yin Tan.
3: A thousand greetings. <laughs>
2: Artemis Albota.
3: Howdy, howdy.
2: Special guest, the editor of Crossing Zebras and self-professed Kingpin of Eat media Nitten.
4: Uh, hello, everybody, hello. And
2: uh, a brand new last-minute guest, very excited to have him, one of the top FCs for snuff, Wanto. Hi. I'm very excited to have them all here. As usual, we'll do our shout-outs first. I want to give big capitalist army welcomes to our latest recruits. Madord and Old Noirbro, that's come back to the game, has decided to uh, join the corp and join our Great Wildlands project. Web Driver, who left us for the Gate, <laughs> has gotten bored of the Gate and has returned. And we just picked up a brand new recruit, EchoFagey, who just had his first PvP loss. So and kills I believe with us. So uh, big ups to them. Been awesome to have them. It's great to see the core growing so much. Yin.
3: Yeah, my host highlight is just being back in the field. You know, dropping caps to fight. Sorry, shout outs. Wrong, wrong section. My bad. (coughs) My bad. Uh, my shout outs actually go to everyone who was involved in setting up the death race. Uh, I don't know if you called it. Oh yeah, you did. But uh you definitely called it Alex because you were literally there. I don't know if everyone else. Caught English it. is hard, Jim. It really is.
2: He's still he was, suffering uh, from the effects of all the THC that he consumed during that broadcast.
3: I was. I didn't smoke. I didn't touch a drop of THC. I did not inject a single marijuana in that stream. I just wanted to look like a fucking cool ass
1: motherfucker.
2: You <laughs> look like you should be playing drums on the Tonight Show. All right, Artemis.
1: My shout-out goes to uh, the CEO of the first corp I joined in EVE. His name is Endo Seizor, and he recently came back to EVE from an extended hiatus and even posted a video of some of his first fleets on the way back. You can find him on YouTube, Endo on EVE.
2: Yeah, I remember, I actually, I think I've talked to him before or fought him or something. That's good to see him back. Uh, I have Dan for Nidin's shout outs. fuck him. <laughs> I want well,
4: to. I, I thought of one, I thought of one. I hope
2: you thought of one? All right, good one.
4: Yeah, I want to thank Conaldo for, like, not turning into a complete asshole when he drinks. Thank you. It's a good thing to thank somebody for. Hi, what about you? It certainly is.
5: I'd uh, like to thank Melta for carrying me in Battlegrounds and my uh, favorite person in EVE Online, Judy McParker. No, that's it.
2: All right. That's some thank-outs. We have the EVE Onion. They break the news of EVE Online. And they are currently breaking some really remarkable news. uh, Leaked lore. Apparently, Concord is pursuing time travel research in partnerships with members of Goonswarm. Now We don't know all the details here, and of course, being time travel, things are subject to change. But go check it out before they cover it up with some sort of time-based hijinks to conceal their evil plans also want to give a shout-out to the Charlotte, North Carolina Eve Meet. Uh, They had just met, I believe, last week, and we've been advertising the Eve Meet on our podcast. And apparently they had, like, a couple people show up, declarations of war listeners, living in the North Carolina area. And I just want to give a big thank you to those guys and a big thank you to the organizers of the Charlotte Eve Meet. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you for supporting the event. They meet the third Saturday of every month. I believe the next one will be February 17th. If I'm wrong on that, I'll correct it next episode. Uh, but if you want the actual, fully confirmed details, including where it is, go to EveMeet.net and check the official Eve forums for more details. Great guys, go check them out if you're anywhere in the area. We had a very controversial episode, the last episode. Um, Overwhelmingly, our most sensational exclusive, as voted by the audience, was the CCP MMO Project reveal. Apparently no one liked that episode, though.
0: <laughs>
4: I
2: enjoyed we stand by much. our reporting.
4: Sorry, again. Oh, I enjoyed that episode very much.
2: Oh, thank you. Thank you.
3: For those who those of you who are wondering, yeah, it was actually Sapphire.
2: Apparently we have people that did Why not do get it. Why
4: you have it. to ruin it? Je- Jesus, shut up
2: that's the the level of quality at the crossing zebras reporting i don't know if you need to look into this inn but we released that podcast and not only did they believe it was plausible they complained that we like didn't take it seriously that a, a robot was running for the csm i don't know what the fuck you guys are doing over there but it seems like when i'm not posting stories things are just going off the rails so
3: yeah it's obviously because you're such a trustworthy person so, yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I can buy anything. <laughs> just, just leveraging my, like, decade of, like, 100% no scams in the game yeah. for this. The may-mays.
4: <laughs> that would be a pretty good story.
2: My filters! My filters! My filters! Alright. Uh, Actual real news. The, quote, million-dollar fight, end quote, in 9 tac 4 r this was uh, quite a production. Uh, the Entech 4 Keep Star had been attacked several times by Goonstorm. It seems Pandemic Horde switched it from Australian time zone to European time zone, and Goons are like, all right, let's go. So they've attacked it several times. This most recent time, there was a lot of hype. People moved supers to staging points. It was supposed to be the biggest fight ever. It was, technically speaking, the biggest fight ever in terms of people in the same system. But, uh, while a post about it did get to the front page of Reddit, it didn't get that, quite that level of hype. Uh, it was high interest, low results. Unfortunate, but, um, a number of factors came into play that just seemed to spoil the fun, I guess is the best way to put it. It could have been the biggest thing ever, possibly, but things like disconnects, um, the way tie dye interacts with the, Timers just made fighting absolutely miserable then um, you wrote the story or one of the stories covering this. What was your view of of the setup for this, the hype, and how it all played out
4: well um, so as I wrote in the article, everybody like everybody's ever been to one of these things knows that it's going it's going to be bad like there's just no way around it being. It's not going to be good. It's going to be bad with that many people showing up something this big. And obviously everybody who could move anything within range was going to do that, uh, for that fight. So it was very much revolving around. So one aspect of it was the hype, but the other aspect of it was obviously, uh, citadels and how they work, how they, how the timers work, how they cause fights and how they mechanically work. And as we saw in that fight, we had two citadels, a bunch of carriers, uh, supers sitting on the citadels tethered, just lobbing fucking fighters at each other, right? But no fight actually happened, right? And that's got, like, that fight was so very much defined by the citadels that were there.
2: Yeah, Artemis, you were actually, well, not you maybe specifically, but MC was on field. What was it like fighting in that environment? And Could you give us the play-by-play of the battle, if you know?
1: I can I can tell you, in fact, exactly the play-by-play, because I was living vicariously through Slack, which, when you have these big tie-dye fests, has faster response time than EVE streams on Twitch. So, uh, basically, the play-by-play went... Everybody jumped into system. People were forming up super early in case somebody tried to make some fantastic new play and getting into system first. Fighters were launched. They were MJD'd toward the... Keepstar from Goonswarm and the Imperium and Allies, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and then all of the North jumped in on the Keepstar, sat it in their individual little groups, had supers, had carriers, had everything, and just went max space superiority fighters. And it was basically just a, ba- a game of how many fighters can you kill? That was it. There were... M- Goon Swarm fleets of macarials, warping around, pausing the timer, trying to cause trouble. I believe PLNC tried to engage them a couple of times, but it didn't really have a huge effect on how things played out. It was mostly just people sitting, excitedly typing in Slack when they actually managed to kill a fighter, and complaining if they accidentally cuff dock that they're stuck now. <laughs>
2: And one issue reported from the Goonstorm side was that when their fighters died, they couldn't relaunch new ones. It was a, a widespread complaint. So the I tactic think... was super effective in that even the carriers that had multiple reloads or were, were just because guys moved extras up. never actually able to use any of that stuff. They stuck to the one flight that they launched, which made them super easy to kill.
1: I mean, looking at the number of fighters that were dying and how quickly they were dying, I don't think it really would have mattered unless Goonswarm had another trick up their sleeve. Because sure, they could have replaced them, and it would have prolonged the fight a little bit longer. And Goonswarm, being typically the EUTZ power—or pardon me, the USTZ powerhouse—when it comes to the Eve superpowers, they may have gained an advantage as time zones shifted over. But their fighters were dying. Far more quickly than they were able to defang the SSF carriers and supers from the north. And the timer was going down, or pardon me, the HP was going down, yes, but not at any sort of an astounding rate. So maybe, and as far as like launching fighters, the issue wasn't launching them, it was reloading the tubes. You could recall your fighters and relaunch if they started taking damage. Uh, many in MC did this, many others just shot the fighters that were shooting there because it was quicker. But goons didn't have that option because they were sitting on a Fortizar a thousand kilometers away.
2: So explain the mechanics, uh, and maybe this is a question for high the mechanics of dropping these carriers on the Fortizar, sending the fighters that way, because it does aggress the carriers at some point. Um, You want to talk about the the meta or the tactics involved in using carriers this way for, for citadel combat? Oh,
3: in doing
5: this, you avoid effectively going onto the Keepstar, remembering that Keepstar does something like 70,000 in DPS and has a Doomsday that uh, can bounce off, I think, 11 targets or 12 targets, and a Keepstar is incredibly powerful, so uh, goons fighting on the Keepstar would have been like a suicidal move um against the North when the North is fully formed up, so by doing this, they can pause the Keepstar in theory by using the fighters and sit in relative safety in the, on their own Fortasar?
2: Well, we know the question in this case because they were able to kill the fighters faster than the, they were able to replace them. But under normal circumstances, uh, a casual observer might wonder why goonswarm, or excuse me, why NCDOT does not then engage the goons on their Fortasar if they have the superior force and these carriers are in a vulnerable position.
5: Because, say, they
2: go into a fight um,
5: If NC starts winning, goons can just stop aggroing, kill Hicks with subs or whatever, and then just tether up on the Fortizar, and then they're not going to lose much. Whereas if NC starts losing and they warp to that Citadel, they're going to get bubbled and they're all going to die in dairy. Um, it's just much more safe to sit on your own Citadel, and it's a much bigger risk to fight on a hostile Citadel.
1: Uh, it's a rather amusing set of circumstances where in CCPs intention with the way that they designed Citadel Mechanics was to force attackers to commit to the fight. So that fights would be bloody and battles would happen and be fun and everybody would have a good time. Instead, people have found the edge cases where you can completely avoid committing to the fight whatsoever barring some fighters, and it makes everybody have a bad time.
2: And unfortunately, deploying large amounts of fighters is one of those things that just makes lag, which is already very bad from having 6,000 people in system. Just that much worse.
3: Yeah, and the, the fact that there were ECM bursting scorpions being used to help, you know, make fighters be unable to lock. Shout so yeah, out a pandemic attack, horde. Yeah. So that it was that didn't help it was, hard. it was pretty it was it was a good tactic though, it definitely worked. It took even
2: more fighters out of the out of the way. For I believe it was reported to so. us that uh, Horde had over seven hundred scorpions on field. Which is ridiculous. A lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> It might have been a mix of, of Scorps and Blackbirds, but it was. I was watching the Twitch stream, and it was mostly Scorps with a couple of balls is what I saw.
4: If you just. If you look at that fight and what was going on with the tie dye, to be able to win, like I was saying, to be able to win to actually attack, you had to commit everything, including all your Supers, all your Titans, everything, right? Um, even if somebody was going to attack. And. With that kind of tie day, you're essentially risking your entire super fleet on the server managing to pull through. With 6,000 people, that's just not a risk like these big, big powers are willing to take, I think.
2: And why should they? And the amount that that super fleet is worth is far less than the Keepstar. The Keepstar is not any like, irreplaceable thing for Pandemic War. It's not even tactically that valuable because I don't think Goons actually seriously intend to take that system. It's probably also
3: important for us to remember that PL literally YOLO'd three Titans into the jaws of death just to see if they could uh, the timer before this and lost two of them. It's it's fairly obvious that 300 Bill is
1: effectively nothing at this point. It was Northern Coalition, not PL, just a clarification. It was June Makaka was the
3: one person who got
2: away. It was allegedly a diversionary tactic. Allegedly.
1: I mean, it would have been fantastic if it worked. (laughs) Pretty sick.
2: (laughs) So, uh, it then comes to the the big question of how to fix these things, if they can be fixed. Now, CCP has put forward their initial pass, I guess you would say, on fixing structures. Fixes a lot of the pain points that the community has been talking about in some ways. Um. In others, I think, at least based on the 9-attack-4-R fight and the issues that it surfaced, I think leaves a lot to be desired as well. But how to fix those problems, I think, is less clear. Now what we're going to do now is talk about two balance devlogs coming up. One on citadels and one on subcaps. We're going to do them both now, and then we're going to talk about sort of the impact and the wider scope of these balance changes in the larger scale of e-development, both Nidin and Yin have posted articles about with some very interesting and not necessarily aligned viewpoints. Uh, And Artemis and I also, I don't think anyone in this podcast agrees with each other, basically, is what I'm saying. So it's going to be good. But let's get through what's first what CCP is actually doing, and then we'll talk about what they probably need to do and may not do and why. So the first thing is that the final timer for Citadels is being extended. They're also getting some changes to their fittings in terms of um like new kinds of super weapons. Basically they're replacing the Void Bombs with the area of effect electronic warfare, including neutralizing that is present on the supercarrier range. They're also getting possibly one of the Titan doomsdays that relocates people. Although, uh, People uh, they are decided, they freaked out
3: about were, that. Did you not see the update
2: today? I did not. Uh, the, there was
3: an update today, which is the GTFO will not be added to any, any Citadel. Uh, uh,
2: and, also, uh, the, the
3: next thing on your list, the fitting window, uh, no longer exists.
2: Would you like to explain that one?
3: Yeah. Originally, the concept was to um, effectively allow a five-minute period between the Uh, Sorry, before the end of invulnerability, where you could fit your uh, Citadel as it was anchoring. I kind of thought it was a little interesting, and I really liked Fuzzy's reasoning for it, that it would allow the offensive placements of ortizars and things like that to be uh, more powerful. So making aggressive moves um, became a stronger possibility within Citadels. I thought that was an interesting... Idea Stronger?
1: We want to make it
3: stronger? He he, want, he. wanted specifically to make it so that the defender had less of an advantage by allowing the attackers to put offensive citadels up and have them be the same strength as defensive ones. Whew. Which is interesting. I But I, I personally thought it was something I could see making a positive difference. But a lot of people raised good points and basically heard them and now it's not going to be a thing.
2: I I think it probably would have been a good thing just for the utility factor and you should because you can't fit them up once they take any damage basically. So yeah, you got kind of to have a window to put your shit on when you're onlining it. The a,
1: the one convincing argument that was made in favor of the fitting window was that with new Citadel 2.0 changes there's going to be two states for structures, high power and low power. And has a bunch of mechanics related to the timers, which I'm sure we'll go into in more depth later, but TLDR, citadels are always vulnerable to be attacked in their shield phase. So you can always shoot their shields, which means that theoretically an attacker could indefinitely pause a timer and prevent the defenders from ever fitting modules to a citadel. And so that is what this fitting window was intended to fix in addition to providing a buff to aggressive Citadel placement, which I think is absurd. The suggestion that I would have is currently with ships, you can online modules by using up Capacitor. And Capacitor is already a balance factor for Citadel fights. So to get around having to fit up these things while they're being shot. You merely allow the fitting of offline modules, and then require a usage of cap to online them, even if your structure is getting shot. You don't allow the removal of modules because that would be playing with kill mails, and CCB already says they don't want to do this. They're in fact removing the ability of citadel owners to pull the rigs while they're reinforced, which is a fantastic change but it would enable them to avoid this problem of a constantly paused timer, preventing them from onlining fittings. And if it is the case that somebody's just indefinitely pausing a timer, then you don't need the cap anyway. It's no real loss to spend it on onlining these modules.
2: I think that's got some potential.
3: What are your thoughts on this, uh, High or Nid? The uh, fitting windows?
2: Uh, really curious to hear uh, High's perspective, because I imagine... Hitting onlining citadels is something Snuff loves to do.
3: Well,
5: to be fair, these days we don't get most of our fights from onlineing citadels. We get them from anchor, well, already online citadels because we are bigger than most people in Losec like, and they don't like to fight us on a, you know, on our terms or on even terms. But I think that that wouldn't trigger fights like how ccp 4 wanted it to, like dropping citadels in an offensive way wouldn't trigger fights in the way that they'd want because all it would do is just make another platform for like what nine type four was to happen. Like it would just be similar stuff to that with like fighters just going out from this stuff like that. And I don't think it would cause more fights. It would just be, I don't know. I just think it's not plausible in any way because, for example, you could drop a keep star and a fully online Keepstar star is incredibly hard, hard to fight on. There would be no contest from the opposing side.
2: Well, speaking of the fighter tactic, this is a good segue. Um, they are making some changes to that. Apparently, just launching the fighters will now be an aggressive action. So they will be uh, any carriers attempting to do that will be aggressed for longer, more frequently, I guess. Um, there's going to be a cooldown for scramblers things. now that and webbers now that uh, timers are going to proceed. the shields are going to be vulnerable all the time. Oh. I believe it's like a 30-second cooldown, something like that. So, it's interesting. Artemis, you had a thought? Yeah.
1: So, one final thing, they're also increasing the lock range on Citadels. There's a nerf to a thing which we've recently seen, which is sniping battleships sitting at around 300 kilometers, and then fax sitting out past 350 kilometers outside of the standard Citadel lock range, and prepping the sniping battleships as well as sniping titans, which do a similar thing. And then also, Citadel Fighters themselves, they're getting new stand-up Citadel Fighters, and they're going to be
2: pretty powerful.
1: I don't know. We'll see what the final stats end up being, but it looks like they want them to be certainly powerful.
2: certainly making them expensive
0: enough. (laughs) I don't know
2: that the... uh... So I like the scram and the web cooldown timer thing. In principle...
3: I don't think it changes anything personally.
2: It doesn't change much, but they did have to do something because otherwise they'd be able to point people constantly, and you really wouldn't be able to fight on them ever.
3: Yeah, yeah. I think that's just a a concession to the fact that they're always going to be boned, and you want people to be able to potentially, at some point, fight on citadels. Like you want, you still want people to be able to camp them to a degree, right?
5: Did they change the ranges, or did they leave them? They no, out? they no. didn't change the ranges, sadly.
3: Uh, it's something I, I really think... They need Up to or down? Like down, way, way down. It yeah, that's like, ridiculous. Like, it needs to be like 100km max for the webs. Like, I can With the TT2 odds, maybe 150, but the fact that they force you to run doctrines that can shoot at 200km plus, exactly. or your FCs get webbed down and you just lose cohesion is really unfun like you can bleed member you can bleed fcs for a while but you're always going to run out of them before you run out of line members and a situation
2: um, if it's, it's too, too short range to like, is it really useful for its intended range. purpose though forcing the attackers to commit
3: sure but i don't think that i don't think that beyond like a small small engagement that that should be the role of a citadel i think there should be some impetus on the defenders to force the attack to to basically trap the attacker when they do that. shouldn't just be able to sit there, like I literally just did in my citadel, and web down any target that comes within range and get it dunked.
1: It's also worth mentioning that... Sorry, go ahead, hi.
5: Huh? I was going to say, like, CCP's whole change to lock range is because, as uh, Jintan said, people don't want to fight close to citadel, so they use long-range doctrines, purely because the citadel is so overpowered. and Half these things like the webs, the scrams that can just lock down an anchor on FC and then just bomb them or void bomb them and it's like you hard to fight under those circumstances so if they wanted more people to fight on citadels then they should just like nerf you know the ranges of the webs and the scrams and you know change void bombs as they've done because that pushes you into like a boner massively.
1: Yeah on the topic of changing void bombs. They have removed them entirely, they're replacing them with the new super weapon, the burst generator for energy neutralizing. I forget the exact term they used for it. But it's similar in effect, but nowhere near as strong as void bombs are currently. And they're also adding what I think is interesting to the point of the defenders forcing the attackers to commit They're adding the super weapons for stasis amplification, for basically remotely launching a bubble, for target painting, and I think maybe a few others that I'm forgetting. So these are new capabilities that are going to the Citadels, which it'll be interesting to see how they play out if they're actually ever used.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so a lot of these effects are already present on the super carriers. Um, Not all of them for instance, the AoE Bubble, I think, is new. The AoE Web, I think, is new. But the AoE Newt, the AoE Painter, I'm sure they'll have a burst ECM option as well. Uh, conceptually, they're great, because they, much like a Titan super weapon, there's a sense from the Defender of where it's going to be and how much area it's going to cover. So you could avoid it if you wanted to. Um, a little less oppressive than the Void Bomb. Still going to have some of the same effects, though, if people go with it. Um, AoE Cap Drain, but... I think a little more counterplay is possible with these.
1: Especially counterplay involving mobility. The The big deal with the void bombs was, as soon as they're fired at a target, unless that target leaves grid, they will hit that target, barring some very specific circumstances where the target goes over 2 kilometers a second, which doing so on a Citadel grid with a 250km weapon scram is pretty much impossible. So... That's that's a big thing. Whereas there is quite literally a warm up time for the super weapons, where the people who are targeted by them will be able to see where it's going to land and have X number of seconds to move out of the way, if at all possible.
2: Yep, I think that'll be great. And in fact, further pushes away battleship doctrines, or at least makes them more risky, which hopefully will add a little bit of variety. Probably not much, but it's always a hope.
4: I mean, in just general, the removal of the, of the void bomb. I think just that fucking void bomb. Removing that is going to change the matter of citadel fighting. I think, and that's. A, I, I think, think
5: that's. Go ahead. Sorry. I don't think it's going to change it massively because in larger fleet fights, people like Alpha and I think Macario still going to be the strongest ship and the best on field. I mean, personally, we like to use rattlesnakes to counter Macariels, but you still have the normal bomb launcher, and those bombs are still quite strong. Like, they chunk you quite hard, and they'll kill drones and stuff. So I still think that you're still going to be pushed into a certain meta where Alpha will still be the strongest. I think you'll see different doctrines, but I still think Machirials are going to be the most, you know, used doctrine.
0: I,
2: I well, Alpha's like alpha... just the strongest thing in general in an age where logistics are so easily found. As long as you have enough pilots that your alpha is going to blow through the enemy ship, then why not go for the best ship that gets you that alpha? If you need X amount of alpha to do it, then you kind of have to be in that ship or go with a DPS Doctrine. But if you have a big enough fleet that you can do it with max and your alliance can afford max, then you would probably go with max because they are the best artillery ship. In general, I think the
3: reason why Max are so prevalent is because foxes are so strong.
1: Well, uh, I, I mean... Are very nice. Using faxes on a citadel grid, they can tank the citadel under many conditions, even despite the super capital weapons plus target painters thing. but if the defenders show up in any sort of decent numbers, the citadel pressure on the fax means it's pretty much guaranteed to break so i'm certainly... I'm talking about
3: more more in general like uh how you're talking about how you know um People are, always, people are always going to want to use max because they have a lot of alpha, they're very tanky. And I think the reason why you want that, those specific things, like the alpha, to a degree, the E-war, and the tank, is a mix of Citadel and Foxes being really strong. Like if you're a defender, you're going to use Foxes with your defense because Foxes are really good. And the only way you can kill subcaps through Forks reps really is killing them before reps which requires you to use Alpha Place Doctrines or High Rate of Fire Doctrines that can double-tap like uh, Nightmares. Yeah, High
5: DPS Doctrines or Alpha Doctrines, pretty much. Yeah.
3: Those, yeah. those are your two yeah. options, so that's why you're probably still going to see battleships used very heavily on Citadel grids so I believe.
1: It's also worth mentioning, as someone who's flown Logi multiple times, against Citadels using the actual like damage bombs versus Macharial Fleets, those damage bombs do a significant amount of damage, and it's AoE damage. It's basically like a small pipe-bombing fleet constantly going off on top of your materials, which makes Lodgy a nightmare, and especially if you throw on Defender Alpha in the mix, broadcasting for reps any semblance of trying to keep order with who needs reps and when and how badly, it's, it's going to be a pain.
2: Yep. So, you're getting a pretty clear picture that citadels are paying to fight. Uh, CCP is making that somewhat easier with low and high power modes, basically taking the idea that the citadel can run out of fuel, uh, which it already can do, but when it does, it loses a lot of its defensive capabilities, basically it loses a whole timer. I am uh, pretty happy about this, I don't know if it will necessarily be enough. You know, those those things can be pricey unless you're a big alliance. You know, I think a lot of the smaller guys in Empire, a lot of those citadels are just unfueled at the moment and are probably going to burn. Uh, that combined with the always vulnerable stuff I think is a pretty good sign. I don't know in terms of like big alliance combat how much this is really going to do. Uh, an alliance like Goonswarm could still spam Astra Houses just like it did in Tribute, putting one in like over a dozen systems. It'll still be able to do that and afford to fuel them until Kingdom Come, because all they need is one service that's up and running, and they're fine. So I don't know that's really going to have any huge impact there, but I do think it's a good change generally speaking. Any thoughts on Citadelles? That, the, as far as the stuff they've announced, before we move on to the next thing.
3: Uh, I'm I'm just really happy that we we actually got high and low power mode into the game or into the eyes of CCP. That wasn't really something to be considered a problem six months ago. So,
2: well, if they didn't no. consider it a problem six months ago, then holy shit, yes, that's a big improvement.
3: I mean, I, I, they recognised that there was some sort of problem, but they they didn't realise that it had already occurred effectively because they mm. were struggling to figure out what the proper metrics were to figure out that that might be a problem, and and we were kind of trying to help. Show them the way in terms of like where those metrics might. You know, it's not it's not always easy if you're not FCing fleets constantly to feel how certain developments are changing the game when you can't see them from a metrics point of view.
2: So now they know the <laughs> way.
3: Yes, that that meme is going to be <laughs> dead so soon.
2: Like, please, it <laughs> it probably already is dead, but uh, it will live on in my heart for quite a while. In fact, it'll live on in my slacks for quite a while, because they added the uh, Ugandan Knuckles emote, and it gets spammed ridiculously amounts. Alright, so that's the Citadel stuff. Now they're making some tweaks to subcaps. We've talked about it on the show before. We're very excited for these changes here at Declarations of War. The assault frigates and hacks are finally getting some love. This is a patch that's, what, three, four years in the making? Feels like forever. Um... But hacks are finally getting a little bit of love, and we don't know too much about those details yet, but what we do have is some information on the new assault frigates. These are numbers that are on sissy That's the EVE test server. The uh, the TLDR is that they're faster, generally, uh, much faster, as a matter of fact. I believe they also have much lower mass. So these things are going to be quite zippy, uh, fixing the speed problem, which Yin and I have talked about on the show, I think, at length episode that it was, but we really went into it. Um, in addition, the Retribution and Ishker are getting some uh, bonus changes. The Retribution is dropping its tracking speed bonus for a rate of fire bonus. I would overall class this as a strong buff to the Retribution, at least in fleet fights where you most commonly see them. Because you can pretty much assume that your primary target is going to be well-tackled. So the rate of fire is going to be significantly increase the damage of the Retribution, and the tracking speed bonus while it will make frigate fighting and dueling a little more painful for it, it doesn't really do tons of that anyway. Any thoughts on the Retri-Change? Particularly would love to hear Yin's thoughts, and I know Artemis is fond of the Retribution. Believe it or
3: not, I've actually run small fleets of uh, Retributions in fact, more there a couple of times, and I was really happy to see that change. It wasn't something I suggested to CCP. Uh, I think the only thing he suggested beyond the speed and some other stuff, I don't know if it's public yet. Uh, but yeah, it was cool to see that he mixed it, uh, Ryze mixed in some reworks with just uh, numbers tweaks.
1: So what I'm you saying. may be alluding to there, Jin, is the change to the wolf, which is now going to a rocket platform, but... Uh, that is the jaguar,
2: sir, and yeah, we'll jaguar. get to no, that in a uh,
3: second. I'm, I'm alluding to... Uh, I'd have to go check this, so I don't
1: Okay. I'm disappointed, to be honest with you, that they're changing the Retri. It's, it's a good change, like, for what Noir in particular loves to do with Retrie fleet, which is fighting up, basically fighting battlecruiser battleship fleets with assault frigates because they're often... Um,
2: disrespected, let's call it what it is.
1: Indeed, disrespected by their opponents. I think it's a fantastic change for their ability in that role, but it also means that they sort of can't fill that role anymore because now they won't be as disrespected. So it's great. It's a ship that I enjoy flying on alts and enjoy flying in fleets with, but it sort of can't do it anymore because now it's actually good.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that CCP. Stop buffing her things. Speaking of the Ishker, uh, I guess this is technically a buff. I don't know how useful it's going to be, though. I'm so uh, using the most
3: useless like, uh, frigate like, per level bonus in the game, which was 5 meters, me- five meters cube per skill level.
2: <laughs> yeah, so fun fact, if you didn't have Assault Frigate 5, you couldn't yield two full flights of light drains in the Ishka. I don't know whose idea that was.
3: It was actually the same in the Ishtar for the longest time, but they changed that when they went through hacks, but they didn't change it for the Ishka. If you recall. Uh, uh yeah,
0: Ishtar I do recall that
2: actually. M3 level
3: yeah. In hacks. Oh man. Fucking old school that is.
2: <laughs> Ishkurs or Ishtars were a mistake. Generally <laughs> speaking. <laughs> uh but the Ishtar got don't worry Ishtar fans, you got an equally useless bonus to kit to tide you over. Uh till the next time he so decides to fuck over a ship class. Uh, it now has the fifty m three drone capacity baked in and replaces the five m three level with a seven point five percent bonus to ship drone tracking speed, so your light drones, which can already perfectly track frigates, can now perfectly track them even more ray
1: I mean, but now they can perfectly track other light drones, so when your drone ships yeah they can already do that
2: too drone
1: ships don't. Stomp on my dreams, Alec.
2: If it wanted to be useful, it would be 7.5% bonus to drone speed. Not tracking speed. Because anything that the drones can catch up to, they're going to be able to track just fine. The issue is they can't catch up to some things that are going really fast. So if you want to give them a useless, uh, useful, non-damage bonus, that would be it.
0: The Ishtar doesn't
2: use sentry drones. It's not an Ishtar. Sentry drones are the only thing... maybe ogres, uh, that tracking is useful on. Ishker cannot use either of those things.
1: You're supposed to use your newly buffed speed and reduced mass to tackle the ship with your Ishker.
2: (laughs) Oh, so it can perfectly track it already? Yeah, great. (laughs) Like Honestly, I'm I'm glad the Ishker is getting a nice tweak that's a good quality of life change so that new pilots don't have to train level 5 to be useful in them. But at the same time, that's the best if you're gonna replace that, that bonus, that's the best that can be done there. There's all sorts of drone bonuses. Control range. Uh hit points speed. Why this? Like the only thing that would be more useless is an optimal range bonus. Fuck it, give it a seven fuck it, give it a seven point five percent bonus per level to uh sensor dampening drone effectiveness. Anything would be better. <laughs>
3: I, I, I think you can understand CCP being very scared of buffing drone boats. Um, we well, you have to well, give uh, it something. has uh, uh, disappeared back to the lobby. I believe he crashed.
2: Oh, I'll drag him back down. But you have to give it something.
3: I, I, I'm i okay with not having a frigate version of the Ishtar. Uh,
2: it, give it... Oh my gods. Give it what the, the Algos has as a drone bonus. Or... So Give it something more speed unique speed. than this. Like, this Note, has uh, no point.
1: The August has the 12.5% bonus to MWD speed, so its orbit speed is still the same, but it can get to targets faster.
0: I, mean, I don't
2: know if there's time to provide feedback on this yet, but I'm a big fan of the Ishker. This is one of the biggest letdowns, I think, of any ship I've waited for a rework in the history of the game. You've gonna mess with the Ishker at all. Yes, definitely. Can the 5M3 drone bait capacity, which is just silly, uh, especially for such a small bonus. Bake it in. That's a great change. Any other bonus, though? Like shield boosters, um, gun tracking, anything. Just Anything. Okay,
1: okay. We get the point, Alec. You're disappointed. Okay. Let, let's move on to a happier okay. note.
2: You know why I'm disappointed, though? Because it's going to be like another five years before the ship gets touched. And it's already nice suffered enough.
1: No, we're not done with the changes yet, darn it!
2: <laughs> <laughs> now, one of the changes that I do love is the change that's coming up to the Jag. This is going to be cool. Basically uh, so, making it a mini-breacher,
3: isn't it? Like turning yeah. it from, uh, you know, the wolf's slightly shitter younger brother into the breacher's, you know, on steroids cousin.
2: So before it was like, you go the wolf if... Holy shit. You wanted to go the wolf if you wanted to armor tank, the jag if you wanted to shield tank. They used to be the old rule of thumb. There were exceptions. Uh, now the difference is between uh, projectile weapons and Missiles. And I think it's a much more compelling choice. It is getting a slight slot rebalance, which is still pushing it more toward shield. It's losing a low slot, gaining a mid slot. The loss of the low does kind of suck, but I think it's going to be fine because it's getting the increased speed anyway, and I think it's going to be putting out a little bit more damage uh, with the new bonuses. I don't know. Somebody could check me on that one. But it's getting a double damage bonus to missiles, one of which is rate of fire, which should give them better to a uh, uh, better overall DPS than just a straight damage bonus. Uh, it is no longer getting the turret optimal range bonus, but it's getting an explosion velocity bonus. The effect of which is basically we'll be able to use tech two missiles, uh, rage missiles, and still hit targets really well. I love this change one of the following reasons, it was almost fucking impossible to orbit somebody with a Jaguar and stay in the optimal range of your guns if you wanted to have any kind of speed. So you were losing a a slight bit of damage there unless you were willing to take a pretty bad speed cut or you were already tackled.
1: Alec, I'm disappointed in you. Why? Why? Because you're going on about the useless tracking bonus on the drones, and then you praise an explosion velocity bonus on missiles. It's gonna have uh, it tackled already.
2: I don't think you know how missiles and drones work, bro. <laughs> well,
1: he, here's he, the he, thing, wants,
3: he wants to have them. He wants to go snuggle up to them with the Jaguar. He wants to stay away from them with the Ishka. He wants to he, here's the thing with the
2: Jag: the explosion velocity bonus. Unlocks a massive DPS increase because you can use rage rockets, which actually are more damage, like flat out, than Navy rockets.
1: Yeah, but you can't kite with them because their range sucks. So you're going to be in tackle range. They're already going to be tackled. It doesn't matter how fast they're going unless you're shooting at drones. And already, unless you're shooting an A being frigate, and even some A being frigates, this doesn't matter. You're applying max damage anyway with T2 rockets. Satonia put out an article on this a year ago, two years ago now, maybe?
3: I have found that you normally need two webs to fully apply rockets to quite a lot of ships in low sec, because pe- especially in Faction Warfare, because people will use snakes and stuff like that, which gives them a higher base speed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like, A being Faction Warfare stuff, okay change yeah. if it's not tackled. But anywhere else... Utterly useless.
2: I'm thinking, like Nelsic fleet fighting. At least my Jaguar fleets. You're not really putting webs in that. You're mostly going in for the scram and then hugging them to death. It's pretty much all you're doing.
1: Yeah, and your your rage rockets will apply full damage unless they went in with an AP bit. I'll I'll find you this article and I'll link it to you. We should move on though to the fantastic Games.
0: Oh, okay,
2: okay. I mean, I'll I'll see your point there. But it also at least makes a little more sense thematically with what you're going for. A lot of ships have that bonus. Uh, A lot of Mimitar ships have damage application bonuses for missiles. That kind of makes sense. Just in terms of like what it's filling out in that ship line, still doesn't apply to the Ishkar. And I will guarantee you a shittier bonus for the Ishkur.
3: One thing, we've completely skipped over um, Assault Damage Controls. Isn't
5: okay. it, like, the same as a T1 damage control resist-wise? And then it's like an 18-second invulnerability timer, and then a massive cooldown.
0: Yep. Uh,
3: anyone have any thoughts on it? I, I personally think it's going to be interesting. It's going to be probably pretty
4: broken, in fact, more fair, but other than that, it would just be interesting. Well, I'm just wondering in, like, small fleet situations if that's going to let them well, further punch above their weight class. I'm not exactly sure. I haven't actually flown assault ships of any kind for quite some time, but...
3: Mark Barovian had a really good post on it. Yeah. He speculated that it was going to take them somewhat viable yeah. in Small Gang.
4: I, I really like that, that Actually, I forgot. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to get yeah. Mark to publish the articles on CZ instead of it. Uh, God damn it. In
1: um, in Small Gang, Yes. I think they'll be a huge buff to Heavy Assault Cruisers. And-
4: but, but just a quick question. like, I haven't done solo for quite a few years, but I imagine that's going to put the solo like frigate meta on, on its head.
2: Yeah, they'll, they'll be mm-hmm. very dominant in frigate fighting. I actually think for a small gang worker, then it's not going to be that impactful. Medium fleets, like when you get into the 30 to 50 range, I think is where it's going to be really shining. And then super large fights, hard to say, could be, but you're already not bringing hacks in that situation anyway. The The point at which it relies
3: on reaction speed is the point at which it fails.
2: Yeah. And I think you're going to see a lot of uh, FCs fighting hack plates, switching targets a lot, having people lock up some targets and then switching over, or only firing small amounts of volleys to try to bait people into activating this thing.
5: I think Feroxes are like way too overpowered and I think Feroxes are still going to dominate like that size of PvP. If you look at Scourge, for example, or they fly is like Feroxes and Tempest because Feroxes have the double range bonus, right? And they do a pretty decent amount of damage. And I think if I was an FC, I'd just take Feroxes because they're cheap, fight the hacks at range and then just keep switching between them and you're just going kind to of kill them eventually
2: and they're not going to be able to touch you. Well, it's yeah, Feroxes are ridiculous hard. right now.
1: The the problem that the Assault Damage Control is meant to solve is getting volleyed off. And in medium-sized gangs, Feroxes aren't really volleying things off anyway. Like, there is the argument to be made that yes, you can double-tap before the uh, Lodges can lock the ship up. But if your FC is swapping targets waiting for that cooldown, the Lodges are probably going to have the ship still locked. I guess it depends on how good your FC is.
5: What do you fight, though, in larger, well, mid-scale PvP that's going to volume, you anyway? It's like, Feroxes I mean, dominate that I mean, meta?
1: Yeah, they do. I, there's no argument there. I just don't think that, um... I don't think that Feroxes will be able to beat, or be unable to beat hacks now because of this change.
5: Yep, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying like, Feroxes to buff hacks you need to nerf Feroxes in theory, in essence Ah, the mid scale PvP side, because Feroxes are just too overpowered and
3: overuse. You see we had that kind of argument with T threes though, when we nerfed T three Cs and hacks still come back. So
2: I mean hacks need love regardless of what you do, but the Ferox is I mean you just look at the numbers. The rate of fire and the alpha combined, the amount of tank it can have and still hit to its optimal range. The optimal range itself, it's nearly at uh, 150 It can basically do everything. Uh, The only thing you can't do is all that stuff and tackle stuff at the same time. But that's a pretty small price to pay for being good at everything. I think the only thing stopping it from being super dominant is its reliance on capacitor, which means that people can't bring it for the Citadel fights, and they're relying on Macarials, But if they could, I think they would because, honestly, it's better than a Mac. It's cheap, yep. It's cheap, hits, hits further, uh, it doesn't qu- hit quite as hard, but hits pretty damn close, and almost as tanky. I mean, considering the range, it's like, what, half the hit points, but twice the range? And the price tags are, like, ridiculously cheap. cheap. You're talking like 80 mil tops.
5: I think a triple tracking computer mechanic still outranges, ranges about quite massively. Triple tracking mm-hmm. computer Mac has pretty large range, unless you're fitting, like, tracking mods to a Ferox. Or the tracking rigs, whatever. Not tracking, sorry, optimal range rigs to the Ferox.
2: I mean, the Ferox is hitting to 125 comfortably. You're not going to have... You might be able to get out to, like, 150 deep, deep fall-off with a Mac.
5: Pretty sure triple track computer Mac hits at 120 quite comfortably.
3: Yeah, hundred percent does. You can get them to Well, you can get a Mac to hit to three hundred kilometers if you really, really like go hard for it and you use strong frenetics And two and three TCs.
2: I mean you could apply that same logic to the ferox too, but you're just taking away all the tank at that point. You can't you can't get a ferox to hit three
3: hundred kilometers.
2: Trust me, I've looked this
3: I I've like I know, like tried to do this because I thought it would be a great way to counter the the jumpy jumpy ravens.
5: We, we did that end. as well we
3: for
5: the exact same yeah. thing, yeah. yeah. I think this might plug the whole of what you, you know how you used to use TD, T3s to kill, like maelstroms and stuff. Like the assault damage control might, you know, fill that role now, like fighting maelstroms.
3: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if like Zealots or something start appearing again. I, I always believe in the Zealots,
2: you know. Uh, it'll depend what happens. I think the Zealot needs a little power grid. It's if it's really gonna come back, a little grid and then new assault damage control maybe.
1: When Goons deployed north the first time to Hokonan, we were and they brought their Typhoon Doctrine. MC at the very least was looking at Zealots seriously because of their ability to deal with them. Uh the Typhoons that is. Like you can get a Zealot fit which has decent range, decent damage for the class. And can tank the volley from 110 Typhoons. The reason we didn't go with it was because goons can very comfortably get more than 110 Typhoons. So, the Assault Damage Control mitigating some of that volley, it may bring it into the meta. But, I don't know. I'd have to see how tie-dye mechanics interact with the ability to activate the Assault Damage Control before I give any predictions.
0: Mm, Yeah.
4: Fucking tie-dye. (laughs)
2: <laughs> that's a good segue. Now that that's all said, um, let's get into the meta conversation about what CCP is changing, why, and what unfortunately they are not likely going to do. It's been a topic of some discussion prior to the release of the Upwell Structures 2.0 devlog, and then it went quiet for like a day or two. And then as soon as Nine Tag Four happened, now we're back in it again. People just frustrated with Eve's age, basically, and the level of attention that CCP pays to it or seems to pay to it uh, based on recent events, which we've also covered here. Uh, Unfortunately, CCP can't catch a break. They are making uh, some pretty good changes, not all the changes we need necessarily, but good changes to Citadels, by and large. I don't think any of these changes are actively bad. Some may have unintended consequences, but we'll see. Uh, Certainly the Salt frag changes, again, not bad. I think uh, some very clear missed opportunities that I think are pretty glaring. But uh, otherwise, pretty good. Unfortunately, Uh, they're not getting much love for that. Tide has a problem. Tide in Citadels is a, kind of an unsustainable problem. They've basically gone 180 degrees away from Fozzy Saab because of all the player blowback about that. Now they've returned us to single point, requires a big, huge capital fleet to fight, like, territorial control objectives. And oh, just like the problems you we were having before when that was a thing, now the game is it's playable in only the strictest sense not very fun uh to be part of these games uh to be part of these fights people still want to do it because it's like huge and historic and people want the promise of the fun but every time it happens and then i think you bring this up well in your article every single time it's always a letdown there's always server problems eve just can't handle that kind of thing and I feel like CCP has let themselves be bullied back into this almost instead of going with the design of spreading fleet fights out to more systems more often to try to mitigate this problem because the the Eve sucks under tie dye problems not really fixable.
4: Well, they are presented with a very complex problem in that this is part of the thing I was talking about in my article, is that you kind of need the hype, right, to be able to sell I mean EVE is 15 years old, almost 16 years old, right? And at its core, it's got some very old code. And obviously, that's the problem we're running into with a game where the meta, kind of the gaming itself, is developed organically, which ends up you know, with the kinds of organizations we have in need today. Now, the pro- like, CCP have basically th- three ways out of this, the way I saw it. Uh, Are they find a way to switch out the code with the code that can actually handle fucking six thousand people in one place in some kind of reliable manner? Or they just, you know, keep going till the wheels fall off, basically. But, you know, the solution you're talking about, okay, so you don't let you don't you try to motivate players not to gather in these kinds of numbers in one place. You try to spread these fights out. What you lose then Is the hype like the only reason that mainstream media was talking about this fight was obviously they can put a number like a money value onto it, but these it's a record-breaking thing like that's the reason any anybody's going to pay attention to it. Nobody's going to write articles about okay, so like six thousand people fought a war, but it was spread out and there was no like central event, no big thing to actually write about. That's the problem.
5: The thing about spreading stuff out is, like, the last big, big thing I can think of where, which was over, like, nodes and stuff was M dash O when CO2 switched sides. And even then, like, we all ended up in one system, all fighting, pretty much. Well, most of us. And then we were just. It was
2: still, it was an option, but you didn't have to do it. Right. Yeah. Like, in order to kill a Keepstar, you have to put, like we were saying, you have to put. Either X amount of carriers spamming out really lag creating fighters or put a huge super fleet on it.
3: It's the, not going to die any other way. The thing is, like, even even in like Aegis of when you're supposed to spread out, you still always want to have the strongest single point concentration of force because that allows you to kill distributed you know, points of force. And if you destroy them and they can't reship, then you win. You're just you're you're they're effectively just you know splitting themselves up for you, which makes killing
4: easy. I mean, there's an interesting question though. Like, okay, say CCP cannot change the way people behave in this in these two instances. They'll just gather in one place, like one big one one system, right? Can they actually revamp rewrite the code so that the servers can handle the this many people? I have not heard. At any point have I heard from CCP that this is... I mean, obviously it's possible, but I've never heard from CCP that it's feasible, that something that's going to happen. Essentially, they would have to rewrite EVE from from scratch, and I've never heard CCP mentioning that this is maybe going to happen.
2: I think it's unlikely they will. This this got discussed in Reddit pretty extensively, and and it comes down to the business dynamics of it. EVE is not growing. There's really no... Right now, they're focused on retention of existing players. It seems to be the only thing that CCP is looking at right now. I know you and I have talked about this before about um, you know some of the like the resource wars and other efforts to get new players involved, but those don't feel like serious efforts. And there's no wider marketing strategy that's tying them all together and getting the hype, getting the new faces in. So. They're overall, I think, just hoping to keep EVE more or less where it's at. Well, to say that we're going to... I mean, what they'd have to do, I assume, and, and I don't think anyone's going to be able to correct us one way or the other, but I would assume that rewriting EVE from the Grand Up's going to take a substantial, all-hands-on-deck, multi-year effort where they're probably not going to be releasing other features to the existing game. Well, I if, if we're ever going to live long enough to see this thing. So if they're doing that, they're not releasing features that are going to keep new players engaged. They're not releasing Citadel fixes. They're not releasing assault frigate
4: balance. Uh, they're not
2: releasing whatever comes after that stuff.
4: And it's not going gonna... to. Sorry, good. So, I don't think CCP are trying. I think they're. I think they had very high hopes on the on alphas, and they've obviously pushed them. The alphas are a lot more powerful now. I think that was CCP's attempt at getting new players, not just working on you know, fighting the churn of old players, but getting new players in. Unfortunately, it did not work that well. Yeah,
2: it shot up a whole bunch, but then it turns out it's not retaining new players because once they got in, I guess it wasn't fun enough or whatever the reason would be that they churned, but it seems like a lot of them have churned.
3: I got 4,000 views on my YouTube channel over the course of two days after the whole million dollar fight went up. I think okay. big
5: hype stuff is, it's not gonna happen because 9 tag 4 is never gonna say Citadels didn't exist. Like that still wouldn't happen because we're at the point where we have so many supers and titans and it's so unpredictable about what's gonna happen in Tidy and neither of the FC, like neither of the leaders whatever coordinators are going to commit when they realistically don't know what the other side has and what's going to happen in pida how you're going to escalate and what's going to work it's too much pressure and i don't think it was too many people in system i don't think it would have ever turned into something big these like bigger things where lots of money is lost and stuff tends to be more spontaneous than big hype fights i didn't expect wait, anything wait. to happen
4: ideally like if I was forced to put together a strategy for CCP, they they would simply have to come up with some new way, a feature-based way to attract new players, and then try and break up this gathering of massive fleets. Because even if you fix, say you, say you fix the code, yeah? Still, even modern code isn't going to be, be able to handle 6,000 players in one place in a good way. I don't think that's still going to... I don't think that's going to be a good fight. Even if you you have faster servers. I think the solution is you try, or, you know, die trying, a new, some kind of new, something new that attracts new players, something separate attracts new players, at the same time trying to motivate the older players to split up and not gather, like, 6,000 people at the same place. The the thing you do... I mean, you lose lose the hype. You lose some of the media publicity from the from the hype of these fights. So you have to have something that'll attract new players.
5: But how do you do that? How do you split up the big yeah. donuts? Because yeah. you can fix the game but you can't fix the players and everyone likes to sit in their blue donut and be cozy and blob.
3: You can't really and fund them yeah. And players expand to fill the life and all those other wonderful yeah. uh, rules heuristics that we use.
2: We talk about this a lot in our Discord that People just don't hate an Eve anymore like they used to. Yeah. A lot of the blood feuds that powered this game have sort of fizzled out. We used to just attack each other in spite of the game mechanics, not really because of them in any way. And now that fire has died out, and the mechanics haven't really made it any easier.
1: Hang on. Did we not, like, what mechanically drove Swarm to attack the Horde Citadel and Cloudflank? What mechanically drove them to go up to Hakonan? What mechanically drove PLNC to take or kick Test and CO2 out of Tribute? Like, Nothing. I get you
2: can saying. Well,
1: I'm just saying that the hate is gone, but there is still plenty of incentive for players to fight each other. We've just figured out how to fight each other without creating massive headline battles. <laughs>
0: No, they
2: they figured out how to fight each other in ways that nothing actually happens. CO2 and Tesk got kicked out of one region immediately moved to another one and got set up there. Um, Goonstorm reinforces the 9-tech for Citadel two or three times, but neither side actually commits to a fight and just basically throw peanuts at each other. Like, what's... There's no serious commitment there.
5: You need incentives and reasons, pretty much, to fight and you don't have those really
2: in the game anymore. You need a sense of loss, a way for loss to be unavoidable, and then the motivation to want to hurt other people using that loss mechanic. We're missing those things.
4: There's too much fucking money in the game, that's the problem. Yeah, and
5: everyone has a capital now, like... Hey, hey, hey now, not everyone.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Obviously we're not talking about (laughs) probably.
5: It's well played Gentan earlier. Because if they escalated on you or did something like that, you could literally just each tether,
3: undock again, and you'd be far off capitals and they'd be on the floor to Well, yeah, we just, we had some like savers bubbles just in case that happened. And then I just, well, I was, I was going for 40, so we just like casually sit there and kill Dreads for like an hour. would have been kind of boring, but. Yeah.
4: I mean, to get back to the point, I just, I have so little that tells me that. CCP isn't on the track of let's just run this thing until the wheels fall off. Uh, I'm just afraid that's where that's where we're at now. I I don't think
3: we're at that point. I think CCP does want to do things to make more people be interested in the game. Like I don't think I don't think CCP's ever going to be like, yep, we're just gonna just gonna let the game die. Doesn't make sense. Not not really
4: like that. Not that extremely, but. Something drastic needs to happen, and some that means money. Like you need to invest actual money and lose money as a business, and possibly some yeah. time to to make a radical change. You can't. You know, some of these devs are horribly overworked, and oh, really yeah, have to ra- really have to ration their time resources into making changes. Uh, and often it'll be. The stuff that's prioritized to actually get done is stuff that'll have that is quick to do and has immediate effect, rather than okay, let's let's do a roadmap that's like three, four years instead, where the goal is to have a new Eve which is a lot health healthier. Like as things stand today, I don't think CCP as a company is mature to make the kind of changes that Eve actually needs.
2: Yeah. I think you hit a good point in that the devs are super overworked. The devs that we do have are very dedicated. And contrary to some Reddit posters, I think they're actually really talented and for the most part make good changes to the game. Um, Obviously not every change is going to be perfect. Not every feature is going to land, but they're clearly trying. I think CCP, the company though, is in a mode of what is the bare minimum we can do for EVE in terms of devs and in terms of development and resources that's going to keep the doors open and not, like, have players leaving in droves. But then that's it. They're not really focused on either, like had said, let's have a long a long range roadmap, like we did to get us to the point where we're killing posses off and replacing them with citadels. Which I think is overall, despite the problems with them, been a good change. Certainly a step in the right direction. Brought a lot of fresh life into the game. It's own set of problems, but, you know, Paws had that too. But now there's there's nothing to replace that, really. Um, and the choices they made to bring Citadels in, you know, bring some, some challenges. Especially when you have Citadels, like the Keepstar, that are virtually impossible to kill without a huge fleet fight that's going to break the server. That's a design decision that CCP made without the infrastructure to back it up, necessarily. And now we're seeing these citadels pop up basically everywhere. I mean, I'm certainly not going to be affording one anytime soon, but coalitions are fielding them left and right. So that's kind of where we're at now, and it's I I just don't see it changing. If anything, it's going the other way with some of the layoffs that CCP's made, that they're not focused on EVE long-term. They're not focused on growth long-term, they're figuring out what they can do with the people they have, which I'm glad for, but I don't think there's, like, C-level support to go, okay, we have this flagship product that's in a bit of a slump, what can we do to kick it into next gear, let's invest the money to go do that, let's bring on more devs, not less, let's figure this shit out, and let's put some marketing around it, and let's get players engaged around this to help us out, we're not seeing any of that effort. What we're seeing is them tightening the belt and battening down and go. okay, we do need to put out some features that players are asking for because we know that our player base will riot. But we're not going to go beyond that. We're not going to do more to try to make Eve the success that it. I believe it could be. I'm guessing they don't believe it could be, which is a shame.
5: What would you do, though? If, you were, if say, you could change anything, what would you do to or would you change uh, incentive bias? Would you change asset safety or?
2: Oh, um, <laughs> my uh, my plan for making Eve fucking ridiculous is all supercaps and titans are vulnerable all the time, even if you log out. So they have to be parked somewhere, or they're just vulnerable. And yeah, some fixes to asset safety, some of which I think is being talked about. I think they're going to add some asset safety changes to, uh, what you call it, um, in system transfers. I think they're adding a small percentage there. But my preference would be there's no asset safety for super caps or titans. If you have a super cap staging citadel and it gets killed and you didn't evac your shit, it's just gone. Your cap fleet? Sure, maybe that can stay. And even then I'd be up to, I'd be open to talking about removing that too. But the exactly. idea being your super caps and your capital fleets are always attackable. Always.
5: I think there's too much safety in when you move supers and now. Like you used to lose so many people like retards moving and now you have citadels which is a super safe way to move. People only die in bait citadels now or being stupid, like really stupid. I think if they change tether mechanics in certain ways then a lot more supers and would die.
2: But if you're just killing the ones that are moving around, you're not really lowering the overall number.
0: They're produced mm-hmm. way too Still, easily no, now. Would that would yeah,
4: yeah. I think that would have a significant impact on the way, like the way, the speed at which people can move these things around and the, the rate at which they get killed. Just something as simple as that, not being able to, with complete safety on your own, Move a fucking titan from one end of the map to the other.
5: I mean, you say it wouldn't change significantly, but for example, say we knew Shadow Catalan was going to move their 10 supers and 20 titans. We're at the point now where we can easily out-escalate them. And we would kill a large amount in that, you know, spot. And these coalitions have massive amounts of supers and titans and the stragglers, you know, are going to travel en masse. There's not going to just be one or two and you're going to kill a lot. Do that back and forth all around the map, and it's going to make a decent difference.
1: I mean, you say that, but even just killing ratting supers, they have been dying left. Like, it is not news anymore when supers dying, mm-hmm. dying. There are that many of them, and I can't imagine a situation in which moving supers would even put a dent in. I think I'm agreeing with Alec here.
2: The, the production numbers are just in such a scope that it's I mean, I I don't disagree. More ways that they can die is good. I'm not disagreeing with you there. I'm just saying that I don't think that change is, is really going to make a difference because they're not. The quantity is is basically what the ratting quantity is. I I don't. I'm talking like they need to be dead in mass. Um, players need to have some real risk when they make these things that they just they're just attackable all the fucking time. And yes, that might. We're going to have coalitions that are blowing each other up. Sure, that will happen. But they're not going to blow each other up all the time. And when they do decide to stop blowing each other up, somebody's going to lose the supercap fleet. And they are never going to forgive the person that did that, is my hope. And they will then spend the rest of their lives hunting down and tracking their capital shipyards and killing those. But uh, that doesn't account for the keep stars and all that stuff, I admit. So I don't know quite how to deal with those yet. Um, uh, some so way to weaken them, I guess, would be the ideal thing. Um, or maybe tied and Sov, so they're limited in some way. Unclear. Uh, I'm still debate, debating around in my head like how they interact with the Sov system and stuff, because they're sort of replacing what outposts are now. Except you can have all of them instead of just one. Makes it a lot less interesting to fight over.
5: I don't think there's going to be a big war any time soon. I think it's just going to be people deep-dicking certain entities like DRF just blobbing Tri and NCPL killing noobs and Provi and stuff like that.
3: I, I think I, that's I, just always going to be part of the game. Like, right, entities, like, entities like Tri are always going to try and fight the DRF because they want to prove that they're the elitist PvPers. People like NCPL are always going to try and fight. Probably because that's the easiest way for them to get the kind of content.
5: Dang. Right, right. I mean, you don't want to, like, invade anyone anyways because there's no real incentive and it's just a lot of effort. A massive amount of effort to keep stuff and stuff.
3: The, the only reason to invade someone is to live in that space. Or for their faction for okay. it's ours. Yeah, yeah. I guess that. Are you going to come um, get some as well, Nah, I'm
5: scared of her. Uh... MJD uh, ravens, they're too strong for me. It's
3: too spoopy. Yeah.
2: I do yeah. I don't know. I think I would like to get one of those factions, but it's probably not gonna happen. I'm not super interested in going through all the pain that would need to happen to actually get one. So much cancer. And such a small corp versus many big alliances. Not really gonna happen. Although Jebby has done it, so he has inspired me. Incappable
5: mods on Citadels, I think, would be quite cool. I think that, that would, would actually that
3: would be add... amazing. Legit. Yeah. At least just for, like, the scrams, maybe?
5: Or, like, on a keeps that maybe the Doomsday or something? Like, the strong things. If you could take down the things that really handicap you on a Citadel. Because you yeah. have to commit to,
3: like, incap them, right? So. From, from, like, a pure looking at this from the outside perspective, that would be a way to solve it, but from a. Dev, from like knowing how CCP functions, I have to be like, yeah, but how fucking long is that going to take to develop? Like, do we want another six months where CCP sits down? We're going to spend six months iterating Citadels.
2: I also don't think Uh, it really serves much purpose. Yeah, at some
3: point they've got to move away from this and start making new shit, and I think it's fundamentally one of the problems we have right now is that citadels are still in a a are non-perfect place. They're in a significantly better place than they were on release, but they're not ideal. But we can't spend much more
0: time.
2: Well, they're going to have to spend... I, I mean, I think the one thing that really needs to be addressed that isn't is the way that the timer interacts with tie-dye. That's... I mean, if that had been a timer that worked in tie-dye, I think you would have seen the 9 tech 4 fight play out quite differently even just in the mentality of the players, but it didn't. It kept ticking down in real time while all player actions took forever. So in practice, the attackers had to put down a lot more DPS than they normally would have to, and every time the server ticked over to calculate that, the timer was going down just a little bit each time. Uh, That was definitely a factor in addition to all the server craziness I think there was a definite sense that the defenders had the advantage there on the timer if they just kept stalling it out, which they did do. Whereas, if that timer worked with tie-dye, maybe they would have had a little more urgency to go on the offensive against the attackers. Maybe. Who knows? We never will, because apparently that's really hard to change.
5: I think they would have saved it, regardless. They had more people, I think. I think. And they also had like a lot more supers on their own keepstar and you know you have to move your fighters from Fortasar to Keepstar, put them on there and stuff like that, and I'm pretty sure they would have saved the Keepstar.
3: I, I still I still have to say that I fucking love the fact that PL managed to get a fake Sino into the Superfleet for Goons, convince four people to jump to it on top I of that Keepstar. Four out of hundred and fifty, that's pretty good for goons.
5: I, I, I still just
3: love that 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 like tactic. It's just so fucking funny that it works. Like FC doesn't say jump, but someone in Fleet Chat says, Fleet Chat says they're the insider. You're just like, yeah, sure. I won't check this out or ask the FC. I'm just gonna believe.
2: <laughs> when I saw that. I kind of hoped for a brief moment that stretched out forever because it was, uh, you know, in tie dye. That that might be the thing that it's like, oh shit. Our Supers sign it over there. Well, oh, we better go, like, help them out.
0: No, nope. man.
3: Can you imagine if, like, Pan Pan had, like, burned some sick, sick, like, deep spy to, like, the say the over the Supers on top of the Star, and just, like, all of those Supers that they thought would have been tethered would have landed right on the KX. Oh, man.
2: So all this is related to the article that you put out, Yin, about CCP's balance team. Uh, Again, talking about resource allocation to EVE Online, it seems like from the tone of your article that uh, these balance changes we're getting to Assault Forgets and hopefully Hacks might be the last we're going to see for a while of any substantial changes anyway, because those devs are not actually being allowed the time to balance stuff. Is that an accurate summarization of your article?
3: I mean, if you think about how long the hat changes and the AF changes have taken to come from initial thought into reality, that's kind of the pace that we're looking at long term in Eve right now. You know, it's, it takes around six months for CCP to identify a problem, identify some solutions, and implement them in terms of balance, and that's because the the quote unquote dedicated balance team, which is uh, effectively a person who does not get to spend a a huge amount of time on balance has a obviously can't do his work, or at least the work that I think that he needs to do to make the game to put the game in a better place basically. I'm making the argument, I'm making two arguments I guess. The, The one argument is, you know, CCP please, give this man enough time to do his job, and then also CCP. Here is why it's important he does his job. Because I didn't want this to become an argument about, you know, oh man, this guy, he's he's not, he's obviously not doing his you know, job. And I've seen that on Reddit so much, it's just never constructive. People saying like, oh man, what does Fuzzy do all day? Or you know, oh man, can't believe Rise was made the head of this dedicated balance team, and he's just done nothing. Like that, that's a super. I think naive way to look at things where you assume that people are always given the tools to reach the objectives that the community is led to believe they're intended to achieve.
2: So, Yeah, I I I mean, a a team is not one person. So right there, out of the
3: box, there's a problem. It's not technically one person. He does have an entire team behind him, which is Team Size Matters, but a Team Size Matters is the monetization team. I'm not sure how many of them are game designers.
5: Players are never going to be happy regardless anyways, because everyone's always going to find a stupid way to win or you abuse an overpowered doctrine and you're always going to have to... No one's ever going to be happy regardless anyways.
2: It, it's, it's not just... about keeping them happy. It's about keeping things fresh. League of Legends does an excellent job with this. Champions get in the meta. They're really strong for a while. People spec into them, play with them, and it sort of shapes the game a certain way. And then they go, Oh, actually we've noticed that this champion is like winning 5% more... Than every other champion, always like let's we probably need to tone this down. Oh, this champion is like losing ten percent more often than all the other champions. We should probably tweak this guy's numbers or rework them somehow to make it better. Or this person, maybe they win a lot, but they're hardly. A Why is that? Maybe we need to make this more accessible. Um, Eve doesn't really do that very well, although we've had some flashes of attempts that try to do that. Uh, there was a the period of time where patches were coming out frequently, but. Damn.
5: So why do you, they do that? Why do they they
2: do that because it makes... It, it's almost like playing a brand new game. You play that champion, or you even like to play that champion, or you're going against that champion in your lane, it's like you're playing a new game. Because they're doing new stuff. They play a new role, or they're more powerful, so you can pick them and feel good about it. And mm-hmm. other players now have to react to you instead of the other way around. But if you do that frequently enough, all of your players feel like the game is fresh. I mean, you know, if you have crazy. swipples that are just dominating constantly, and that's the only thing that small fleet combat is about—the is swipple fleets and potential counters to swipple fleets—then you're just playing Eve One Line Swipple Edition. And how many times can you fight the same fleet the same way with the same doctrines over and over and over again? It sure would be nice to fight anything else,
0: right?
5: So Jintan Mike says that you know CCP definitely time and stuff, but. CCP never seems to tweak numbers. They just seem to favor adding new stuff and more and more stupid stuff. So how hard is it to actually tweak numbers? How hard is it to nerf Macarial, for example, or Ferrods?
3: Mac's actually kind of a hard thing to nerf.
1: I've done a lot of sitting here, listening to you guys talk, and now I'm going to say something which a bunch of people are going to disagree with and completely ignore my reasoning for. And that's going to be fun. So, <laughs> CCP does not need to be more reactive with their balancing. The time between change implemented and balance pass occurs does not need to shorten, it needs to lengthen. And here is why. League of Legends is a bad comparison because it is significantly less complicated and has a, I'd say, significantly less bandwagony meta effect than EVE. A prime example of this, rapid light missile launchers. They used to be what many would call dominant in just about all aspects. You had caracal fleets roaming everywhere. They were even good combat doctrines if you were actually in a fleet fight, depending on what you were shooting. Obviously not for Citadel type things. They were good for small gang, good for solo, etc. Everybody was complaining about them. Fozzie announces a possible change we're looking at. Everybody goes crazy for it, says, yes, this is fantastic. It'll solve all our problems. People stop using Rapid Lights in anticipation of this change and then the change doesn't occur. Fozzie says, well, metrics went down. There's no need for it anymore and Rapid Lights haven't picked back up. What this tells us is Rapid Lights weren't the dominant meta. It was just the fit of the Uh, month carrying over.
3: (laughs) That's not quite accurate, though, because we also had an entire rebalance of most alpha ships at that point, including, uh, I don't believe it included the Caracal, but it included a lot of competitors to the Caracal.
1: Yeah, but those ships didn't replace it in the meta, they didn't force it out in the meta, you don't get see them getting used more where the Caracal previously was. Well, no,
2: but we... The Caracal is still we really fucking strong, caracols. by the way. Like, because well that's still good.
1: Yeah. That's I another like that. point, right? Because Feroxes weren't hit with the with the alpha rebalance pass and Feroxes were in their current state for a long time. I distinctly remember MC getting bashed on Reddit numerous times for using Feroxes before people realized they were actually good. And yet it took so long for Eve as a community to figure out what was a strong Meta you you're still making even though what you've said is
3: I don't disagree with what you're saying in that sometimes the meta becomes stagnant because people haven't figured out the way to attack it properly, but I don't think that that's an argument for less intervention from CCP because I believe that you know you in that in that statement you talk about here is an intervention from CCP that made a problem in the meta. That a lot of people were unhappy with go away. It, the, what, fact that, it's the fact not that the fact that they problem, effectively meant yeah, you know, <laughs> the fact that it effectively meant nothing, like that the fact that no change happened, isn't the end result. Like if you end up changing the maller's PG by like three percent, you bet I'm still going to look at the maller and be like, all right, is there anything more interesting we can do with this? And maybe if, through that you discover a new way of using the maller. In, in in such a way that it will counter the caracal uh, and maybe that 3% power grid wasn't even important to that it's all about preventing the calcification of the matter and this is a concept that i talked to uh, mr hyde a lot about when uh, during my first term at csf it's the kind of project i've been keeping up with and it's that the gay and any flying any ship is fun for the first 3 to 6 months any time you go beyond flying one ship for pretty much every role, for six months, it becomes unfun. Uh, that's the same with Zwipples. the same with Ishtars. To a degree, it's the same with Tanks. Uh, before that, it was Techies. Before that, it was... I, I don't actually remember. Again, I, well, I'm i just going to say Drake's, because longies. Whenever you fly a ship for a long period of time, it... The meta just revolves around that one ship and then it no longer is interesting because people can't see ways to defeat that ship. And being able to change stuff, constantly bring new, bring new theory crafting into the meta means that whenever you log on, you have the option of your PvP experience being different and more interesting. And the, the, the people you fight, even if you're going to use that same thing, might be flying something different. And I think that kind of exploration that um i don't really know how to put it that kind of like creativity expressing your creativity through doctrines which is something i'm very big on as you might be able to tell by the fact that i use armor phantasms ironically is is important to the game in my opinion you know i mean that
2: that time of creativity where people are figuring that out is one of the most exciting times to play yeah, well, I
3: mean like my look, point at what, is, look at Elo if Knight. You... Do you remember Elo Knight for being a great FC, or do you remember him for being the only person ever who could make mutants work?
2: And then mutants were so good that they had to be
1: My argument is you are stifling that creativity by making rapid fire changes.
3: I, I would argue that you're stimulating it by by producing rapid fire changes. It is, but it's effective. That's effectively my argument in the article. And fundamentally, I guess we we can't have an like a proper argument until CCB tries to do rapid fire changes and does something like every one or two months. You know, my my end goal with that article is uh, just to get you know maybe a day a week for rides to spend sitting there and working on balance because I think that would be healthy for the game.
1: I don't disagree. On that point, yeah, absolutely more time needs to be spent on balance. But I don't think rapid-fire balance is the answer because the community just can't figure out the meta quick enough, and I don't think CCP can recognize when the meta has been figured out.
2: Even if they're not fixing meta, fixing individual ships can have an effect on that, right? Not even what just if, fixing, uh, just we, like,
3: and just just to cut you off there can we get um, a? Yeah. Nidden's point of view on this before he uh disappears, because I believe he wants to go to bed at midnight. Yes, please. Nidden. And he has a job, unlike me.
2: <laughs> final thoughts on this, please.
4: Uh final thoughts on the on the balancing thing. Uh I think so the options that have been discussed, either wait longer between balance processes or rapid fire them. Uh somewhere in between, however, reliably having People dedicated to balancing and watching over the situation that's actually happening on TQ is what's missing, yeah? That's why we've had ships with such long waits. And then all of a sudden we get a batch of changes and think, okay, so maybe they're on the ball. Okay, now maybe they have a team that's dedicated to this, but no, they're not. So just making it, you not know, prioritizing, uh, I mean, essentially what, Jin was saying that the title of the article is so good because it's uh, balance is not optional. And that's what happens uh, in these meetings when they draw up their roadmaps, I'm assuming. Like, balance is just somewhere at the bottom there. It needs to be something that's constant. Like something, okay. I, I kind of
0: specifically
3: gonna, touched that in my article. I, I, I explained that it's, exactly. it's because CCP sees it as a feature. And I don't think that that's the correct way to look at balance.
4: Essentially, what I would do is, like, When you're drawing up one of these big boards looking at, okay, what are we going to do as a company for the next four quarters? You put up balance as a fixed block. That's just going to take up X amount of time. That's just fixed. I think that's the way to go forward. So every so-and-so weeks, we have the team go over what's going on in TQ, what are the numbers looking like, like the statistics of what chips are being used, uh, how much damage they're taking, how much they're applying—you know—you can see all kinds of interesting things just from the data they can analyze from TQ. And just I would be comfortable
2: if they did that even once every three months, but exactly what you're talking about.
4: Somebody needs to be dedicated, and you need to realize that it's—it's it's not just fixing stuff. It's actually a, like a central user experience for your product is make keeping it interesting with the tools you have it's like it's the most low-hanging fruit you can imagine so even from a business perspective even it's difficult to tell somebody that's a business person that's responsible for money in your company like oh we want to rebalance chips and they're going to ask you okay how, how much money is that going to make oh it's difficult to explain you have to understand eve they have to understand the players oh i'm sorry well we can't give you that much time to work on that well that's the problem isn't it because like Korski was pointing out the other days, that you don't have to have a massive balance pass every time. All you need to do is tweak some numbers. Uh, like, most of the time, that's all you need to do to keep things interesting. Uh, this just needs to be prioritized, like Jin was pointing out.
2: I mean, numbers, tweaks could be like, okay, the Mauler doesn't seem... For instance, I don't know if this is actually true, but the Mauler seems to be rarely used as a cruiser compared to the other Amar lines, compared to every other cruiser why might this be uh okay let's try to figure it out maybe it could be it doesn't have enough grid or it's too slow or its role just doesn't work anymore maybe it needs a more thought out rework um you know an example of that i mean, you don't have to add a new module you don't have to add a new ship class every time or any time really just like a few meters a second in one way, or maybe it's being crowded out by a really strong counter. Look at that ship. Maybe tone it down a little. What does that do to the meta? Then go back and take a look at things. Nerf and buff. Nerf and buff. Nerf and buff. And it's never gonna to achieve perfect balance. That's not what it's about. It's to keep the game fresh. So no one really knows for a good part of the time what the best thing to do is. Once people figure it out, they get a a window where they can do it and it's fun, but then it changes up again before it gets stale. And I think that is kind of a feature in that it will probably keep, like, player attention a lot better than some of the other things that they're working on. But it's not something that needs to be built, it's a process that needs to be adhered to, and they need to have the the time for it and actually live up to that.
0: I
1: Completely disagree with the concept that rapid fire nerf buff as a method of stimulating activity and interest in the game is in the long term beneficial. It minimizes the effect, impact, uh, benefit to properly putting the time into theory crafting out the meta, finding counters, figuring out what is actually strong. As opposed to just waiting for the next ship CCP is going to buff and then use it before it's gone. Like you see,
3: this is this is
1: something that I, I brought up to Pro God Legend because he had this exact same
3: I when I talked to him, and I basically came to the conclusion that he was fundamentally traumatized by CCP's previous approach to balance, which was not so much as subtle tweaks as. Taking uh, as waiting 18 months and then taking something behind the head and shooting it in the back of the head.
2: (laughs) Well said.
1: No, like, the Ishtar, the way the Ishtar was handled is fantastic, in my opinion. It was a problem for a long time, longer than it should have been. However, the way that they incrementally toned it down over time, watching how each incremental change affected the meta, I think is exactly how it should happen. It was... Not just haphazard in any sense of the word, tweaking and seeing what happens. It was intentional. Yeah, Ishtar is a fantastic example of not taking something out behind the shed and murdering it because it's been too long the fit of the month.
2: Yeah, the Ishtar I think was good. Uh, It's still viable fleets. It still has a role. Um, Could it use some look? From time to time, yeah, because EVE's never going to achieve that perfect state. They should be looking at every ship all the time. Obviously, the ships that are the least popular and most popular probably need it the most uh, for, for reasons. But when those ships become better or the other ships become worse, other counters will emerge. Not necessarily those ships like uh, if the drake comes back into the fold again, counters for the drake will also come back into the fold. You know, if uh, Macarials get nerfed, the things that Macariols were really strong counters against will now become more prevalent because they're less oppressed in the meta. They can have intended consequences besides the ships that you're actually touching. And I get your point, Artemis, that EVE is much more complicated than League of Legends, so maybe it's not the best comparison. But at the same time, it does share a lot of things in common. And, you know, they have a lot of champions. Like, a lot, a lot. And I know that EVE has more ships, and those ships interact in a much more wider variety of ways, but the principle, I believe, is still very much the same. Maybe four months, maybe something like that but doing it like yearly <laughs> or sometimes waiting several years I think is it's not good there's no advantage to that whatsoever
1: I have some more thoughts but I want to hear highs thoughts personally because he is a fleet commander who runs very similar doctrines more often than not so does think do things get stale for you high do you want More rapid-fire changes? Do you like figuring out the meta? What's your opinion?
5: I think that we have a very large amount of doctrines to deal with certain situations. Like, we have Nightmares, we have Rattlesnakes, and we have Macarials, just for battleships alone, and each of those fulfill a different role. Rattlesnakes are good for killing Macarials. In a brawling situation, Nightmares are good for skirting around a field and third partying and max are just a good overall doctrine that we use for citadels because of void forms and stuff and i do think it gets a bit boring when you fight the same thing over and over again which is vicarials and pheroxes so yeah i would like to see more variation but i think that people are pushed into certain doctrines because of the way the game is going on with citadel so people fly max for that reason uh people use max also because you know Uh, coalitions are now bigger, and you want to use take advantage of your numbers, so you want to headshot, so you want to use alpha for Macarius and stuff like that, so I don't think that, you know, it's good to have the same doctrine over and over again in every single fight, so yeah, I would like more variation.
2: And not only that, the I mean, if you just mentioned all those three ships, Max, Nightmares, Rattlesnakes, all pirate faction battleships. Is there a reason why that ship class is like the end game right now, aside from capital ships? What about counters to those things? Should there be counters outside of that ship class, to that ship class? Maybe, slash probably. Figure out what those are, buff those, or nerf the, the things. Like, we shouldn't just have those to pick from for the rest of our lives.
1: And my argument would be there are counters out there in all likelihood. We just haven't found them yet, and it's Ridiculous to just constantly be changing things because these players are a little bit slow on the uptake.
5: How do you counter Macario in a subcap?
1: I don't know yet. Maybe jumpy ravens.
5: No. Well, yes, but you need a very large amount of ravens.
1: Well, there you go. Coalitions are growing ever larger. Easier so, access to ever larger fleets of jumpy ravens. So, be so more fun to fight
5: uh, at 300 kilometers. It's like you're saying it's more fun.
1: That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying that it's a possible counter, and I'm saying that the possibility exists that there are counters beyond Jumpy Ravens, and that the EVE player base simply hasn't found them yet. Like, the Ferox was in its current state for a long time, and people didn't realize it was good. The um freaking T3s went away, and everybody thought hacks would come back, and they didn't. When T3s first got the rebalance, everybody thought Lokis were the new thing, and they weren't the EVE player base likes to think that we know the meta and that we know game balance really freaking well, but we don't, and as we know firsthand from Jintan's comments about CCP's ability to track metrics and figure out what the meta is and how the balance is, they're not that good at figuring out what the meta is either, so just chillax a bit and wait to find out what actually the problem
2: is. So, had- Artemis, yeah, how long are you planning on waiting on that shit? Like, Remember back in the eve of yesteryear, where you had battleships like pretty much just the Ab- Abaddon and nothing else really. Uh, then you had Loki's countering that, and then you had Drake or not Loki's, uh, Zealots countering that, and you had Drakes countering the Zealots. Would you be comfortable still playing that game right now, I didn't having the that meta game, not change so for I like eight years?
1: I did not play EU back when that was a meta.
2: Like, having to pick between three doctrines is actually relatively healthy. Having to pick between the same three doctrines for years on end is boring as fuck. The only reason we haven't done that is because CCP has done what little balancing they've done. You can get more of that fresh feeling, more of those exciting, hey, this new ship's coming to the meta. Okay. Let's find a counter to that ship. And then that ship becomes meta and a counter to that and a counter to that. It will happen, but then there are points at which the, the strong ship is just so strong that unless you know that's what's being fielded, then you would always just field that one ship. That's where we're at with Max. And that's why, and Farox is to an extent. And that's not great. And when those situations arise, CCP should step in. When there's never a good reason to bring a certain fleet or a certain doctrine type, that's when CCP should step in. And there are those cases.
1: I There are those cases. They are much rarer than you or I or CCP believes, or generically the E community in general. And I don't want freshness because numbers are tweaked i want freshness because somebody's had a fantastic new idea that changes things like freshness for the sake of freshness change for the sake of change it doesn't it's not meaningful it's just let's tweak some numbers and there you go you've got a new game all of a sudden that that's not meaningful gameplay Right, There's no reason to really thoroughly think through the meta if CCP is changing the numbers every three months, because, oh, well, we found the fit of the month for the next three months, now we just wait for the change to come through. Like, as far as time scale is concerned, eight years? That's a problem. Six months? That's too short. Eve can't figure out the meta in six months. A year, year and a half? That seems about right to me. You make a change, you wait and see what happens for a year, year and a half. Maybe the meta's figured it out, maybe it hasn't. Do you but, think
3: that right now the rate of change of metas is every six months?
1: No. Well, ship meta exclusively, no. Meta in general, yes, because of what they're doing with structures. But what structure changes go away, then no. Nice. So
3: do you believe, so do you believe that, fund, that fundamentally more time needs to be spent on balance, even if it isn't about rapid iteration? Oh yeah, absolutely. So, so we're arguing the same point, which I I Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Okay. Yeah, it, I think we've talked that to death, topic, isn't it? Like, it's not—it's not one that we can get super passionate about because I think fundamentally we all agree with it. Like, we don't have anyone here providing, the, you know, being the devil's advocate, as it were. Because who the fuck's going to come on to a podcast like this and, unironically you know, sit there and defend, you know, C P not balancing. Not I mean, balancing I've asked
2: balancing. Hillmore to come on for years. <laughs> <laughs> um, Shots fired.
3: I mean, like, even, even Seagull really isn't to do with this. Like, Seagull was owning a lot of the push towards more balance. She was someone who really pushed that uh, alpha ship rebalance, for example.
2: So what happened to it? Uh, like, they, they she, made a whole big on, production of this balancing change, and, like, what?
3: So Where did that go? Sorry, good. Seagull met, went on the turf. At that point, there was no one to kind of bring that the, the gameplay viewpoint to the executive. Or at least that's my perspective. I, I don't actually I never met the, the uh, executive team. Uh, the CSM has now. We had a strategy meeting recently. It was kind of interesting. Oh, well, am I heading out? I'm, I'm super sorry. Um, that's alright, that's
2: alright. Don't don't dwell on it. I'm
3: gonna edit. Yeah. Um, yeah. In terms of Seagull, um, she's been on maternity leave for uh, a while, and as a result of that, she was the kind of the person who was owning a lot of the push towards more balance. You know, we discussed it with it, and she uh, seemed to very much understand what where we were coming from. But without her, you know, being there in every meeting and pushing it with executives, I think it fell a bit behind the couch, as it were. Like it, it suddenly wasn't a something that was being brought up in every meeting. Uh, fundamentally, I I don't know. that. That's just speculation. I'm not, you know. I'm, I've I've very rarely talked to the executives of the uh, of CCP.
2: Well, whatever's going on, I I hope it's resolved at least a little bit. And more than anything, I would love some signs of encouragement from CCP that. Uh, these good changes we're getting with Citadels and with Hacks are not going to be the last forward thinking thing that Eve is going to do because what I'm hearing from Ginn, what we're seeing with the layoffs, what we're realizing with just the probably unalterable facts of the game and how it's been coded. And, you know, it's not anybody working at CCP's fault right now, but it's still something that we all have to deal with. You know, it's, It's not encouraging, and although I'm enjoying EVE quite a bit personally, I would want to make sure that I can continue to enjoy it for years to come, and it doesn't really inspire confidence with the way things are going. Hopefully we'll get something on that. I would say I'm looking forward to reading the CSM minutes, but it sounds like from Yen's tone that they're not going to give me the answers that I'm hoping to
3: see. Uh, but there, are, there are positive things in the CSF. It's like, I'm not trying to be, like, a fucking negative Nancy about this stuff. And my article is very specifically worded to not be, like, the game's dying, you know, CSP's fucking everything up. It's it's very, you know, it's it's much more much than that. Because I, I don't think that they deserve a, a sign-level addressing right now.
1: Can we at least get, like, cat pictures and fantastic spaghetti recipes in the minutes that are redacted again? That was great. I missed um,
3: that. Did we I mean I could I could give you guys like recipes for stuff I cook at home, but I mostly just cook soups and omelets, so
2: I if would vote for more pet pictures.
3: Personally. Let's <laughs> we'll see I'll see what we can do. We'll get Falcon we'll we'll to put some pictures of his cats in the uh
2: minutes. How about that?
1: That's an acceptable compromise.
2: Yeah, I mean. Bonus points if there are any C Spears out there that have uh lizards that want to feature in the CSM minutes, I think that'd be a great addition.
1: Uh what?
2: Exactly (laughs) what I said. You mean you don't follow the 24-7 Gecko stream on Twitch?
3: The real question is, can it save me money on my car insurance?
2: It probably could.
3: Alright, do you want to head on to host
2: highlights, Alexia? Yes, I do. (laughs) Uh, Host highlights, I'm going to just do mine super quick. My highlight is definitely the corp growing super fast. Uh, We In particular, we recruited a dedicated miner. He's actually my best friend from grad school. And his name's Hawk in-game, and he has just been crushing it. I can't create market orders fast enough. He just keeps filling them all. <laughs> so that's been awesome. Uh, real positive atmosphere in the corp. We're looking for some bigger fights to do. Maybe we'll have some stories about a campaign or something where we travel out of region. Uh, looking at possibly doing that in the next couple weeks to months. But uh, pretty much we're just enjoying... You know, enjoying life, enjoying the mining, enjoying the roaming. There's a lot of activity going on in Scalding Pass and in which we haven't even talked about. But there's a huge war going on between Tri, Fraternity, and the Drone Region Federation. And it's getting really hot down there. So lots of stuff to talk about in future episodes. I'm really just excited about what's going on in my area, in my court. Yin?
3: Uh, yeah my personal highlight is actually the fight I just had, which delayed the recording of this um <laughs> episode by a couple of minutes i um bought uh n c m p l with a bunch of my closest and bestest around three hundred of us, and it was really fun and It's just great to be back in the field after you know a couple of weeks of exams and studying for them. I haven't been able to lead my dudes in a while. I even gave a speech recently that was i guess a morale speech.
2: Awesome. Artemis, it's good fun. I'm just really happy, you know? It's nice to win a fight for once. Yeah, especially against PL.
1: My host highlight um, was, like, really fantastic. It, it's, it was difficult to pick a highlight from the last two weeks simply because of the amount of fun I've been having in the last two weeks. When goons deployed their freaking super capital fleet over to Cloud Ring, Oh, the whaling fleets that happened in Delve—it was amazing. Like, I words cannot describe. In any case, this particular instance for whale hunting in Delve, at this point, um, it, we didn't go out there, anticipating on coordinating with allies like NCPL, uh, Horde, GOTG. It just sort of happened. Like, we were out there hunting. They were out there hunting. Eventually, one of us caught a whale. We're like, hey you want to get in on this, we could use some extra DPS and things spiraled up from there. And in this particular instance, NCPL was out hunting, and they catch a Nix. And this is after, like, multiple pings and forum posts have gone out to Goon saying, hey guys, we don't have a super cap umbrella to save you, so don't be dumb. Keep the stuff docked, and just wait till we get back. But NCPL tackles a Rattling Nix, and the Nix signos in some facts. And, like, 23 isk worth of facts die to our bombers after the pings and forum posts go out saying, hey, we're not going to try and save your super capitals. And then, to top it off, after, like, too many facts come in, they bring in the Jacked Off fleet, we have to bail, we, we cloak up in system, get ready to extract, and before we can leave the system where we killed a Nick's worth of facts, NCPL tackles... Two Rorquals in a different system, and so we just jump over there and kill another 20 billion Rorquals. Like, it was insane the amount of ISK that we killed. Our deployment had 96% ISK efficiency. This was not a contract. It was just a deployment we did for fun. The the forum post was made January 8th, like even before Goons deployed their super capital fleet. We killed 720-something billion ISK combined with the help of GOTG, Horde, etc., and we got more than fifty bill in loot extracted from Delve, sold in Jita. Like goons, anytime you guys want to go deploy somewhere, I will support you
2: wholeheartedly. Hi.
5: Um, we just got blueballed the last uh, two weeks. We uh, moved our supers from the south to the north and then sat there for a few hours while mine tag four occurred, and then went back home. Good two weeks snuffed out.
2: <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, how many blues do you guys have now? A lot. <laughs> is that uh, is that a coincidence or is well, it, is this a
3: don't have blues post from fucking MC?
1: What?
2: Oh Alex's no no like no X- I left MC.
1: MC. XMC. Alec was the the one pushing to get rid of all the blues in MC. He he hates blues.
3: Yeah, I mean, like, I, I'd totally hire MC right
1: now if you guys weren't fucking blue <laughs> to the people who are fighting me. For the record, we're not blue to PL.
3: Yeah, but you're not gonna shoot PL whilst MC are on grid, right?
1: If they're in the same fleet, no.
3: If well, not there you in go. The same
1: fleet, like we'd shoot them, absolutely. You should contact Niffer Mac. Uh,
3: okay, I'm gonna have to ask for some money from Equi.
2: I was very resistant to MC taking a land deal that would require them to blue an entire coalition, but what do I know?
3: I mean,
5: goons are kind of out of our way, and so we blue them because we can, you know, make money and
1: out of our way. Only half the map. It's okay.
5: (laughs) Not really. It's like one region, and we're not blue with red alliance either, and we're blue with some fountain alliances. That's about it. Okay. Fight with them, so... I think we're the only Imperium Alliance that's not blue with Red Alliance Coalition.
2: Oh, are they in a separate coalition? I thought they were with Imperium these days.
5: Nah, they're called the Red Menace Coalition, I believe.
2: Uh, Cool.
0: Alright, guys. We're we're wrapping it up here.
2: Thank you for joining us. Go to declarationsofwar.com to participate in the show poll. Leave a comment on this episode. Reminder: the capitalist army is recruiting. could use a a few good capitalists for the Great Wildlands Project. Join Capitalist Chat in-game for more info. It's a pretty cool time to join. We're getting a lot of new member growth, including some returning pilots. So we've got a nice mix of veterans and new players, PVPers and industrialists. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. So I definitely encourage you, if you're at all thinking about joining a corp, maybe you've been a fan of the show for a long time and you want to do something different in EVE, hit me up, wherever you guys are. Good hunting listeners.